What's up everyone and welcome to Interactive Artistry. It is me, Albert, and this is episode 142. I am joined once again by Sean, the Law Hunter. How are you doing, Sean? I'm doing very well, thank you. Excellent. Good to hear that, my friend. So, keeping with what we discussed in the pre-show about staying on t- on topic and uh, keeping that flow going, we'll dive right back in. So, I'm bringing up the Reddit now, which I attempted to do in my amazing multitasking mind. But um, but how's how's your day been so far, man? Um, there hasn't been much of it so far, but it's been good because <laughs> I've had coffee and a little bit of breakfast so that's 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 a red bubble t-shirt right there my day has been good because i have had coffee yeah. <laughs> i think that makes perfect sense um okay all right oh well you see here's the thing my my dumb computer has decided to be a little bit slow which is fine because um i actually have something did you get a chance to look at those character descriptions that i sent you i did and they were interesting because you know some of those existed on the japanese site but they've um been amended they as, have as the uh, information's come out and they've added um let's see they've added emma i know for sure yeah and they've changed um um the ashina commander to ashina ganishiro or you know to have his name so ashina ishin which we got a little bit chewed out in the comments for like i came to listen to law and this person was like i came for law and you guys didn't even know who ashina ishin was like hey we eventually caught on to it so i sort of had to defend us in the comments um sean oh yeah yeah <laughs> I, I think I'm, I'm i perhaps um yeah misinterpreted um the the question originally because yeah of course it's you know the, the granddaddy of the whole exactly the whole thing but um i i wasn't uh I I think the question was around um you know I was I thought you were asking the meaning of the uh, word a sin because Miyazaki is known for uh, his intentional choosing of names. That's right. And, uh, I did not know that information, which we did learn through your uh, quick research. So. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I need to ask you just off the bat about this concept which we've encountered, which is the the esoteric text. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think that's going to be an in-game item, or what are your what are your general thoughts on that? Um, uh, yeah, you know, I, I think, um, the different, the different, uh, texts are, uh, yeah, there, I think, I think we saw in the gameplay footage, for instance, in a Sempu temple yeah. that you get their, their text there. And, um, you know, I think that's a key item that, um, will unlock a new skill tree, uh... and, um, sort of teaches their philosophy of, uh, of fighting and i think that'll be a cool way to get some lore in there that's right you will get you'll get some interesting stuff Mm. about them through maybe some of the skills that you can unlock absolutely and then i also obviously have to ask i think people want to hear what your thoughts on the iron code uh if it goes anything deeper than simply something like the um the shinobi kind of uh, equivalent of like bushido oh yeah yeah exactly i mean it's it's interesting because you know it's come up a few times they talk about the code and you know, I don't, yeah, I don't know quite what to expect of it, but I think it'll be fleshed out in the sense that, um, um, so just a minor reference to the launch trailer. Yeah. Um, we, we see the owl talking to the shinobi. That's right. And we actually see him in an arena that looks very similar to where he fights, um, uh, Genishiro the ah, second time. Okay. And, uh, at the end of the trailer where he's doing his cool arrow tricks and, um, my thought there is that there's a, and I noticed in the trailer, I decided to go back and watch that part. I'm pretty sure he still has his prosthetic arm in that scene where you see the owl. 
Okay. Which means um, I think he's uh, my 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 go to reference. Which there might be another one is sort of a a Dexter type thing where uh, right in the in the show Dexter he sees his dad who's not really there, and he, it's sort of his like moral code. And I think with uh with uh, the wolf we see the owl show up, and I think we'll see him in cutscenes where he's not physically there, but right. he's um he's sort of acting as the wolf's sort of guiding you know guiding principle and i think we might get a little bit more about what exactly Mm. that code represents maybe through the owl these this all feels honestly um and then we are i I found it by the way the post so we're good to go but um just the phrasing of like oh the wolf and the owl like it 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 almost feels like a, a an an enactment of some fable like i remember when i was studying mm-hmm. J- japanese in 2003 there was this fable about like a a deer and it was like this mother deer guiding her young uh, foal or whatever yeah the doe the doe guiding the foal uh, into like maturity and like and and there were these figures and and they were referred to as the animal this and that you know um and i just can't help but like maybe hopefully someone will maybe do some beautiful uh sengoku era appropriate like wood carving of like an actual owl an actual wolf because it just feels like this it just feels so ingrained i i, I wonder um yeah if i once once i've done we're all about to start really diving into like sengoku era japan kind of stuff because of like that's how it's going to be with the with the um uh yeah the fromsoft slash miyazaki community and i won't be surprised if i find like a, a fable about a wolf and um and an owl it just sounds evocative that way doesn't it yeah 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 definitely and i you know want like as as we sort of alluded to with uh Sin Ashina, who I who we do know. <laughs> yeah, that's um, right. <laughs> Thank you. you, know, I, you have to add that addendum after every time you say it. That guy yeah. who we know, who we know who he is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. I think you know they're not choosing these titles or these names without reason. Yeah, and I'm sure there's mythological connections as well. You know, I'm, they're they're obviously giving them meaning. Yeah. You know, I think beyond just you know some personality traits, I wouldn't be surprised to you know find out that there's quite a few yeah things like we, we've already seen with uh with with bosses like the corrupted monk mm. and um with uh you know with the with the uh great ape that uh there's like like as you mentioned uh in the last episode there's there's all these things are just encounters in the game but they also tie into a mythology that they're clearly pulling from yeah they're pulling these stories and they're doing their own thing for sure but um, they're sort of it's enriched by knowing those references and that's as someone right who's not super familiar i can't wait to see people bring these stories out because i know that they're they're buried away in there yeah i just love that as a side effect of you preparing yourself educating yourself and enhancing your experience and sharing that like again your channel is essentially a chronicle i've described interactive artistry as a chronicle of my relationship with like art and entertainment but you again this scholarly angle this really beautifully like re- like uh, as I said, it's it's just um, it's just a, a great thing to kind of unwind to. I think I mentioned that in my first sort of tweet message to you. It's like, uh, like the Vatis and the Law Hunters. Like, it's just something that you know you're looking forward to the game, but then you just put that on. It's a nice 15 minute video, and you'll pick up a few things that inevitably, when you're playing the game, you'll be like, oh wow, that 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 actually built up my and sort of enhanced my experience of the game. So. For sure, dude. All right, so how about we jump um, right back in? So Sunken Valley and Beyond is where we're up to. Yes. Um, so I'll just read it again. I'll just read the whole thing. And um, 
by the way, shout out to Rake Your Own Leaves for putting this together, who since replied to my comment and was like, that's like lovely and 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 he was like a, a he or she or they was a bit like kind of shy and they were like oh i don't know that's weird i don't think i'm gonna listen to that because that's so weird hearing people talk about my stuff but i'm like but thank you and i'm like you're welcome man thank you so as sekiro travels oh as the wolf travels through the next few areas sekiro learns more about the undying and the occult nature of their being so as a little previously on interactive artistry and the lore hunter um uh, basically he as uh, Wolf made his way all the way to almost rescuing the long, the young lord from the Ishin. And uh, yeah, so that didn't work. And he got cast from the temple. And you can see that scene of them fighting in the latest trailer. So now that I've caught you up. So he gets cast down into the valley and eventually he comes face to face with Ishin himself, who is now an old man and a horribly disfigured undying beast. He was banished by the commander when he learned of Ishin's plan to end the dragon heritage bloodline. Sekiro defeats him, but is cast down into the spiritual world. This is where shit gets really weird. Um, the wolf makes his way through the undying hellscape, fighting ghosts and demons of every sort. I suspect that we'll discover that this isn't the first time men have made the mistake of trying to tame the power of the undying and that this cycle has been going on for hundreds of thousands of years. He eventually makes his way out and continues his way towards the young lord. Now, correct me, Sean, I think I mentioned, I, I read that one out last episode as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a little a little overlap just to get us uh, back into it. Back into it, exactly. So passing through, uh, what was that, the next one? Um through the sunken valley and then passing yeah passing through hirata sakura runs into owl who has been reanimated and corrupted by the undying and tries to kill the wolf uh the wolf is forced to kill him at some point the wolf will learn that the sculptor was also one of the shinobi protectors of the hirata that were appointed by reptar which is our word for the dragon god um to maintain the dragon heritage he too faced the undying threat many many years ago and managed to cleanse the land using the power of the dragon heritage now the sculptor is tasked with remaining in the dilapidated temple and aiding the next shinobi to face the undying threat like the shinobi that did so before him your thoughts sean on the feasibility of this and just in general on this element you know i i like the uh i like the concept of seeing the owl as a uh yeah you know a twisted thing that that seems like it's a it would be a very from soft sort of thing yeah and uh just with the you know that corrupted version like you know like artorius like mm-hmm. the, there's there's a history in these games of taking these heroic figures yeah and, you know reducing them down to this corrupted thing that's like you know that tried to resist against this force or you know fell prey to it True. so um that you know that's something that i've i've thought could happen as well because prior to me sort of um noticing that the owl is probably possibly going to appear in in cutscenes as sort of a like uh, uh you know a memory yeah or like a uh, is a sort of a conscience for the the wolf to bounce things off of mm. you don't model a whole character if you're just going to um not show them exactly so you know so like it's it's one of those things where you're sort of looking at the medium and saying okay i see him in the story trailer they didn't design this whole character for him to show up in the first cutscene. Yeah. Never appear in the game again. So he may just show up as memories, but I wouldn't be surprised. And I've also had the thought that because the game is dealing with ideas of, you know, immortality and resurrection, that this could be something that happens. 
Yeah, I agree. I'll have to back you up on that. With um, I'm going to go over sixty percent on that happening, maybe sixty five. And um, again, adding to the the idea of uh, I'm assuming he himself has also received the dragon heritage, uh, the owl, as being one of the shinobi trainers. That that just fits for me. But um, what do you reckon? Is there a chance of that, or what do you yeah, think? Yeah, you know, you know, it's it's interesting because when when I started picking stuff apart, one of the things I realized was as i as i um actually let's check the owl the, oh wow well, does the owl age that's that's a good that's a good question i wonder like he's aged a bit but um i wonder if it sort yeah. of extends your life yeah yeah it's interesting that the character description of him doesn't mention um what his role might be but considering considering who who the owl is yeah, i wouldn't i wouldn't be surprised if he was because in an interview, Miyazaki talked about how the wolf has lost his family through yeah. through the owl and, and the young prince. And now, like when the when the owl when the owl died, as he as he described it, that his only thing was to protect the prince. Yeah, and the way it was worded could be a translation, but it sounded to me almost like the owl was the previous protector. Yeah, when this stuff went down, this was sort of his dying. Like he's passing on his his responsibility now to the wolf. Right. And um, so I wouldn't be surprised if there were some shenanigans with him having the dragon heritage or perhaps something with the undying. Mm. Like there's, there's, there's a bunch of ways that the owl could make an appearance again as a boss. Yeah, and he's I so agree. big. He's so big, exactly. Yeah, and I think that's Miyazaki's way of saying. By the way, if you clear, it's like a, a theme park ride. If you clear a certain height, you officially count as a From Software boss. So you can imagine, like a hunched over, like Dark Beast Pal, like next to the slip and slide, it'd be like, oh yeah, I guess I'm tall enough to be a Dark Souls boss. Oh boy, yeah. that's hilarious. Um, but yeah, in terms of a specific kind of mind's eye cinema riff uh, for this, if uh, it did transpire that the owl did become corrupted um, in that way, uh, I think what I would like to see with dragon rot and the dragon kind of the, the blood kind of going off, what I what I see really is say take the the young lord for an example. Like the implication is that yeah, he's this especially from the character description, he's like wise beyond his years. He has this this sort of upstanding noble kind of vibe. And I think the distilled aspect of a dragon of its nobility um, would just kind of make this. It's, if you absorb that and and you uh, embodied that, if you had the dragon heritage, you would just radiate nobility. You would radiate um, that kind of divine serenity. But if you took on uh, like a more aggressive, like if you yeah became more aggressive or more corrupted, then you would literally physically show. Uh, signs of of dragonhood essentially like and that's why if you know if i would imagine the owl getting crazily distended into something of the sort of height scale of maybe like uh, father ariandel something like that like really twisted and fucked up um mm -hmm. then i could imagine that being like yeah like the mixing of of dragon blood like sh it's showing it's like oh it's almost like the dragon blood saying well yeah if you if you choose to embody the bestial side of our of our gift and of our kind, then you will you will show that on the outside, you know. So that's just a little riff that I like to throw around. What do you think of that? Yeah, yeah no, I, I you know I think that would be how it would go. Yeah. You know? <laughs> All right. You take this thing and you you twist it up even more and yeah, you know, just they're they're great at designing a boss. 
They are. Uh, <laughs> I, I love how you and I are both like we're not really attempting to hide just like how stoked we are for the bosses. You know that they're gonna be fantastic. They're gonna be yeah. so nuts. Like they've they've had so much more bandwidth being able to I'm just like I've got Terramantis's analysis fantastic by the way that he put together um which shows some awesome shots which I want to discuss with you but he said like now that we know like the game designers because it's just the one protagonist um the one gameplay configuration like Zelda or or The Witcher we can tailor entire levels to cater and and like put the player through more interesting things because they're not having to constantly account for someone who's got a certain build so they can make these really interesting specific tailored encounters and tailored um gameplay aspects and and also bosses like you can go crazy with uh you know i think this is going to be very much like miyazaki unleashed the same way as death stranding is going to be uh, kojima unleashed so little tidbits there right let's crack on so the next chapter is called the showdown so the wolf makes his way back to ashina command the commander has been corrupted now as well and sekiro must uh, sekiro mercy kills him but promises to cleanse the ashina flam- family legacy by saving the country from the undying so again adding to that sense of the poignant um possibly would you say the most poignant um and certainly living uh, villain in all of miyazaki's games i would say if if it goes this way you know yeah, I mean, we we haven't had we haven't had a a uh, a villain who or you know, an antagonist maybe to put it a little more nuanced. Um, yeah. You know, a, a, an antagonist who like directly did some shit to the main character. Yeah. And he did a lot of shit to the main character. That's right. You know, like he took his prince, he took his arm, like he really doesn't he doesn't set us up to really like him right from the get-go. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, you know, yeah. Oh, yeah, I just wanted to say, just back you up and say, like, it is another big first as well as, the, you know, the voiced protagonist is the sense of a living story where you're not in a world where you're basically dwelling in the ruins and talking to weirdos who survived the apocalypse. It's it's very much like, yeah, things are kind of, like, messed up, but it it's not a sort of post-apocalyptic scenario uh, or a post-nightmare unleashing onto a town scenario in Bloodborne's case. So, um, yeah, you're. it feels a little bit... Yeah, it's a first to have a living villain who's just uh, th- throughout the story, you know. Um, I don't think... Can you... Th- you know, across Souls, has there been ever, like, a villain all throughout the story who's, like, active in the... You know... I'm thinking Dark Souls 3 with the princes, but he literally the definition of the character of the princes is that they they don't want anything to do with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're, they're not doing stuff. And I mean, you 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 have you have Nish, you have Nishandra who isn't like particularly like against you, and you know not not that the not that uh, Ganeshiro is necessarily either, but um, you know it's not the same level of interaction. Like yeah, she you're just going for her and she she's been a little bit more like behind the scenes yeah and, you know perhaps gwen who on a meta level set up a lot of stuff but mm. really dark souls is about like in the in the conclusion with gwen, gwen is more about the end of his story and the tragedy that befell him whereas yeah. this is a much more there's much more tension because you yeah. feel kind of bad when you fight fight gwen and they they definitely they as as a i'll go on a slight tangent so um i think i enjoy contrasts you know because yeah me contrasts too create this larger gap between where you start and where you end yeah and the fact that he starts off so antagonistic directly to you 
gives them the opportunity as described here. And as we talked about last time for him to have this nuance where maybe he's correct, or maybe his goal is actually have some like moral good yeah, merit. to what he's attempting to accomplish. Yeah. So there's that opportunity for, for contrast. And I think that's something Miyazaki is interested in. Like, you know, he's talking about the contrast between decay and beauty that's uh, specific to Japan and just the, and how that ties into the Sengoku period and yeah. the world falling apart, but also being beautiful and mythological. And then even with just the way the world works in this game, I was actually, this is slightly off topic, but I was talking about this yesterday with someone and I like, so in dark souls, there's, there's always contrast, you know, you have mm. the light and dark and there's always been these like disparities that they use to make things really stand out. But someone was just discussing how a lot of like how there's actually human enemies. And even in dark souls, your typical guy is undead. undead. Exactly. And, and then in bloodborne, no one would accuse the, the hunters, the Yarnamites you see at the beginning as being like, you're oh, no. <laughs> like they're all kind of weird. So there's all, there's that fantasy element. And someone was just talking about how there's a little bit of disappointment in having it be less um, fantastical. And um, my sort of take on it, at least at the moment is like, I sort of enjoy it. Cause I think there's a great contrast between there being these actual pretty accurate um sengoku ashigaru foot soldiers who you see and they're very much the historical version yeah and then having so when you see something like a little goblin in the senpu temple or it's you that see, much more of a contrast it's that much more yeah, like pronounced exactly i sort of uh sort of riffing off of uh something you had last time i described it as a mythological surrealism it's taking history and overlaying a mythology as actually existing i love as, that as it's described yeah and um having yeah this interesting contrast develop as a result so i don't think it's better than dark souls i think you know that world you get lost in and has its own things going but i don't think it's lesser for having some realistic elements i think it actually works oh yeah in its own way to provide this really compelling thing because in dark souls if you saw that weird little goblin guy it's not as big of a deal exactly because like, they're everywhere i first saw him yeah, when I first saw him in the footage, it kind of like gave me a weird like, you know, kind of gave me like a little shiver because you're like, oh, shit, like these things just exist. And it's <laughs> weird because we haven't seen it yet. And, yeah. I, you know, and then it's sort of you sort of roll back and you're like, well, also the great serpent exists. There's a chained ogre. Yeah. You know, things aren't completely normal. But like, so I'm hoping that through the game, there's that. And I think people are sort of latching onto it is that sort of spiraling into the mythological and i think by starting with such a grounded place it's going to have a greater impact and i think that will carry into the character arcs i and absolutely agree these grounded things and then twisting them in a very miyazaki from soft way as they like to do absolutely it's it's mythologized history it's it's fictionalized history but see the yeah the undercurrent the the setting and then if you know if you think about their approach with everything reflects itself and i think when an art form or when a work of art reflects all of its aspects um consistently i think it adds up to the basically the most powerful form of art for example like the general theme with with Sekiro was to uh create something which uh yeah had more consistency that there wasn't as wide a gamut and what what do you do with that well you choose an established setting however you make it as you say have these moments where these elements which 
that's how they're able to say this is it follows somewhat in the lineage of souls but it is very different where you have those um established elements of these larger than life enemies but because they're contrasted against um it's almost a little bit of when they were saying like final fantasy 15 like a, a fantasy based on reality like when i was like driving around in that game and then i would just pull over the car and i would see these gigantic and like a totally mundane car totally mundane um sheds and stuff and all that kind of you know uh, like trash cans all that stuff that's just sort of mundane so that when i would and like very very vividly realistically rendered and realized and proportioned so that when i like pull out on the road and i see these katobla paths which are those giant giraffe type things and final fantasy 15 like i i mean i was a i was a photo mode mess with that like i made no progress because i just enjoyed it now i'm not drawing the parallel obviously I, and even the freaking luminous engine guides would be like yo don't even compare our combat to from they would even say that like from really have such a masterful um grasp of, of combat and, and i believe just especially going off of those character descriptions which we'll get later their character nuance is unrivaled compared to anything in final fantasy and that that's saying a lot there's there's a lot of figures and i'm a big final fantasy person but um but yeah i have to absolutely agree with you man that like by having that contrast, it makes the fantastical elements that that much more um, fantastical, I suppose, you know, in relation yeah. to the setting, for sure. Okie dokie. So let us dive back in. And where are we at? So we just mentioned the the, show, the showdown, right? About, um, mm-hmm. yeah, all that. Um, endings. Now, this was awesome. I actually really loved all of this person's, uh, you know, rake, rake, um, rake your own leaves. Um, mm-hmm. So I'll read them all. Uh, or whatever, you jump in whenever you want to discuss anything, man. So Sekiro, as in the wolf, does one of two things at this point. He either conducts the dragon blood ritual by sacrificing the young lord or by sacrificing himself. The results of the sacrifice of the young prince will be dependent on the amount of deaths you've had throughout the game. If If you've used the dragon blood droplets to heal dragon rot instead of buffing your resurrection powers oh that's so i love that first of all like the idea of you forego leveling up so that the sculptor doesn't get more sick and emma doesn't get more sick or something like that so much injection of emotion right there um yeah so here's one here's one of them so one is no deaths and no dragon rot results in the young lord surviving the ritual and the land being freed from the undying the sculptor finishes his sculpture and passes on to the spiritual realm the wolf takes the sculptor's place as mentor to the new shinobi he trains and they continue to protect the young lord as they attempt to rebuild the hirata clan and with this ending just as similar how bloodborne there's the final endings either you know uh Gurman and the moon presence etc so for this uh, ending you have the final boss is the undying commander so the second ending is the high death count and high, uh, and dragon rot plague so it results in the ritual uh this results in the ritual failing and the young lord dying reptar is furious as the death of the divine heir and um at the death of the divine heir and comes to kill sekiro uh, the wolf for failing to protect the heir and abusing the dragon heritage sekiro defeats reptar and is ultimately turned by the undying japan falls into further corruption uh and from the undying and is entirely consumed by it the sculptor laments the end of the dragon heritage and is killed by the undying before he finishes his sculpture sekiro becomes a monstrous undying beast that sounds horrible the final <laughs> the final boss is reptar as in the analog to the moon presence which would presumably be the dragon god himself 
All right, so with a medium death count and a, and the same and a little bit of dragon rot, it results in the the young lord dying, but the land being saved from the uh, being saved by the under from the undying. Um, Reptar shows up to fight Sekiro again in this case. Sekiro defeats him. Uh, Sekiro returns to the dilapidated temple to find that the sculptor has. Um, sorry, my my notes have just given out on me. Uh, yeah, the, the, the sculptor has taken his own life. Oh depressing over the death of the young lord and reptile he leaves a letter for Sekiro explaining that the world is doomed without the protection of the divine heir and reptile and will surely fall to the undying in due time final boss reptile in the final ending Sekiro chooses to sacrifice himself hoping that his dragon heritage will be enough to conduct the ritual he dies but the land is saved the sculptor looks after the young lord as he begins to train new shinobi to protect the brittle remains of the dragon heritage final boss undying commander and then he says, and that's all I have. Anyone have any other thoughts for how the story could go? So a huge amount of info, man. Um, you've got the, I don't know if you have the post in front of you, if you need me to remind you which of the endings you want to discuss, but general thoughts on his ideas about the endings and which one uh, sounds like your kind of ending. Yeah, I mean, I mean to, uh, to start as a general comment, you know, obviously cribbing a bit from Bloodborne yeah. as, as, you know, as a basis, but I not in a... Uh, definitely not a dig because it feels like yeah. something that could happen it does <laughs> that's um, why because mm. there's definitely that feeling of like yeah, i really like and you know with everything that they've set up and you know obviously at this point the speculation is built off of speculation you know there's it's sort of so it could diverge a lot from the reality of, yeah. of what the game ends up being but what they've set up and like the potential is like, I really like this concept of, you know, similar to Dark Souls, you have the choice. Do you sacrifice yourself or or the prince, which I see being a very possible thing regardless. Yeah, of, that fits for me. The details. Mm. Yeah, and then the idea of if the prince dies, that, you know, that the dragon god is upset. I, I really like that concept of, you know, and, it, and it's an interesting because these endings – they don't map onto your typical like good, bad, medium. Like they're sort of set up with game mechanics that way. But um, you know, like I think that the sort of like the no deaths, no dragon route would be the hardest. Yeah. And you know you know, so like sometimes that ties into like, oh, the most like positive ending. But I feel like the way they they've written these things is and would be nice is that you fight the undying commander but in the lesser ones you do end up fighting reptar so it's sort of an interesting concept of instead of letting the game mechanics necessarily drive like so there's this boss that most players don't get to see because of what they've done you know like that um that there's a number of endings where you can get both bosses and that nothing is like impossible to get to yeah you know? absolutely so I, I really like that because i think we're pretty positive you know that the dragon rot affects endings yeah so exactly this this would be a nice way to do it without having this like boss tucked away like which isn't a bad thing but i do i do like the sense here that it's it's really storied like the endings here and what i would hope for the game is that the endings are very story driven and they're not worried about necessarily how well the player does they're more concerned with like what makes sort of sense with the story that they've set up Absolutely, yeah. I have to say that, uh, yeah, uh, Rekio and Leaves is definitely on the money with um, 
with the multiple endings first of all, which haven't been confirmed at all. But uh, I, I feel again, I'm going to go over sixty percent on that being the case. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to throw something just like it, it, just because it's so comprehensive and it's so like like well detailed that like just to kind of add some pizzazz, uh, I just want to throw some stuff at you. Um, Number of bosses, man, throughout the game. What do you think? Like with Bloodborne, again, multiplayer aspects, all that, um, and customization and all of that, which is now stripped from Sekiro. So ostensibly, they'd be able to apply all of that towards making the game more expansive and 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 with presumably more bosses. What can you put a number to it? How, how many uh, bosses do you think Sekiro is going to have? Um, I I am I am guessing with a little bit of informed knowledge, but knowing that even with some trophy information lurking out there which i won't talk about because i really don't know much um, yeah that even if that's the case there it's not really a guarantee of the number but um and also then the other cab so i think i think you're looking at at most 15 main bosses potentially a little less because you're saying there's going to be so many mini bosses i see what you mean yeah exactly because you have in each area you have anywhere between two and four mini bosses and they're they're not mini bosses in the way that we might think about them. Like their designs are, and everything are thought out. Like the blazing bull, Juzu. Like these are things that would be bosses yeah. in other games. And so I think total, you're easily looking at like forty boss type enemies. There's going to be plenty of memorable encounters. Absolutely. I, I think it's kind of cool that they've taken because I think like when you look at like the gameplay we've seen, like you see they play for hours. And yeah. they have the potential of getting to like the uh, uh, Gyubu the Demon, Lady Butterfly, and then you have sort of the tutorial stuff. But there's there's they didn't get to that many bosses, and it seems no. based off the footage they may not have been allowed to show. But I only saw like the tiniest glimpses of Lady Butterfly in all of the footage. Which, if you're playing a game for six hours and you get to maybe two bosses, like the, I think those bosses they're having a bigger impact on the story. You oh know, my like gosh. They're really, they're really important in maybe a bigger way than they were in Dark Souls, where mm. there's like there's some filler bosses. But now what they can do is they can just make them mid-bosses. And what I like about that is because they have these big tentpole encounters where maybe you know they're going to test you and like there's certain skills they want you to have. But the mid-bosses give this really nice flexibility of tackling a large portion of the game, sort of using their mechanics how they want like you can do stealth, you can do, you know, your tools, you can just go in being a, you know, a deflect master, you know? Yeah. So I really like how they have these encounters where, you know, this like 12 to 15 main bosses are going to, they're going to hone them in and they're going to have specific ideas for what they want you to be able to do proficiently in order to beat them. Mm. But then they're still getting like these like 30, you know, like 30 ish mid bosses is my guess. Right. And they're giving so much flexibility. Like I don't see the I don't see a problem with like say for Juzu. You go in, you slowly pick off all the guys, then you like you hit Juzu, maybe you run away for a while. <laughs> like you yeah. know, I don't know if you heal. Exactly. But I like that idea because I don't think it's a I'm not a get good sort of person. Like I no, think neither am I. challenge you to be your, your best. But I like that they've really built in a lot of flexibility and a lot of even though, you know, when they were talking about not having um, RPG elements in the classic sense, they weren't 
saying that we're going to make the game boring so you can only play it one way. It was almost the opposite with how Miyazaki described it because he said we're going to tackle one class, the shinobi, the ninja, but you're going to be able to do like a dozen different things with him. Yeah. Because he, he can do so much and they're so utilitarian. And um, I like, so it's been very promising to see that like I'm, I'm down for some gimmicks. You know, I'm, I'm, I kind of find it fun like we've seen with like the corrupted monk. Like there's little secrets you can learn. And obviously there's some tools that'll work better against bosses. That's but right. I like so far that none of it seems mandatory. And it's all like, how hard do you want to make the game for yourself? Do you want to just deflect? Because like, I'm a big fan of watching challenge runs. Mm. And I'm very excited for all the possibilities. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I think I think the game to me feels more customizable than ever. You might not be able to be a mage, but like given any scenario with this one class you can tackle throughout the game seems mm. like any scenario like three or four different ways there's not just one way they're shoehorning in to do something yeah that that um so yeah terramantis was talking about how the prosthetic kind of echoes like Mega Man, for example with um mm. needing specific uh and i i love that personally as like a trope i'm i'm a sucker for like my back in the day you know ocarina of time it's like you you definitely just objectively needed this particular attachment slash you know item to be able to proceed like you needed the boomerang at one point you needed the hook shot at one point so i really love that and um yeah so to to well if i'm gonna why not go out on a limb and maybe including dlc which we haven't even talked about dlc uh, about what it could end up being it's obviously super early to talk about that maybe after we've started playing the game which by the way listeners anyone tuning in in australian eastern standard time um seven days from when we're recording this exactly a week until the release so figured i'd mention that but um but sean has have we seen uh a confirm a confirmation of of a vendor of, of some kind i know we're gonna you know discover things but even ocarina of time had you know a store that you could go in and you have your send currency so i wonder if you'll be able to uh, maybe like a traveling prosthetic like a prosthetic um components merchant which obviously you still have to go to the sculptor to have him assemble it because mm-hmm. so what do you think uh, the law surrounding the um the prosthetic we we some thoughts about it possibly belong having belonged to the sculptor hence why he doesn't he's like you know working with one arm on these sculptures but uh yeah thoughts on the like the in lore like in universe explainable reason why why there would be a, a merchant and who that merchant would be and when you when you'd find them yeah um so i don't know if they travel around but we've seen at the at the harada states there's a like uh, i don't know i'm just gonna call him barrel guy yeah. There's a Miyazaki original barrel guy. <laughs> you only ever see his arm. Um, I don't know if he travels around, but he's he's a vendor who gives the uh, actually the uh, the dragon blood drops, which can reverse, you know, some of the dragon rot. Right. Um, and then also they mention in one of like the, uh, you know, load screens that there's I can't remember what they're called now, but they do talk about these merchants who travel to battlefields excellent and they they like they're in something to do with the dead which is very tying it in thematically but obviously everywhere we're going there's going to be death and destruction yeah so i think they sort of i think that's sort of a lore reason why we see these like merchant types pop up right perhaps some of them return to the dilapidated temple and um you know i, I think that that aspect exists and they sort of hinted that that already in in uh in the Ashina outskirts if you go to the top of this random hill 
if you like climb on up there is someone like sitting in a tent oh that's who, awesome who will sell you stuff so so they will have these people sort of squirreled away yeah this, you know, sort of like you know i don't know if they'll make any sort of demon souls sort of thing where there's always like a vendor mid-level. yeah like they don't they don't need it in quite the same no way. they don't uh, yeah um, but i think they will have this this cast and katow has sort of confirmed that there will be more characters occupying the dilapidated temple as the game progresses. Oh, I love that so much. And I love that that's being carried over from, you know, ever since Demon's Souls, that whole idea of there's the safe zone and the more people you... I wonder if back when in his, like, student days, like, Miyazaki, like stayed at like some amazing share house and then he just really mm-hmm. loved the vibe of like and like a cycle of of people coming in and like joining the share house and then having a good time like all sharing the utilities and he's just trying to rebuild that with all of his games <laughs> yeah shout out shout out to everyone living in a share house with a cool um basically if i ever have a share house uh sean um i'll call it the filing shrine and you're welcome to stay anytime Perfect, thank you. Sounds great. <laughs> All right, well, um, buddy, let's dive into some of these character descriptions because there's some sure. wonderful stuff here. So I'll go, won't go like, ah, why Why not? I'm a bit OCD, so let's start. Uh, have you got them in front of you? We can tag, uh, like, yeah. a, yep, each of us. So I'll start with um, the, the wolf. So the wolf. Also, thank you to user Good Luck My Way uh, for doing this amazing translation. Uh, they said that they accessed their inner Miyazaki to do this translation. I'm like, it, it really, it really works. So, <laughs> Wolf, the Princess Shinobi in the prime of life, cold and reticent, bound by his code. The Wolf does whatever it takes to fulfill his duty and kills without pity nor mercy. An exceptional ninja. During this tale, he is defeated by the commander of the Ashina, losing both his young lord and his left arm, replaced with a prosthetic limb. The wolf must wager his life to regain what was stolen and protect his master. The shinobi code is absolute and guides him towards revenge. Towards his revenge. So, three things that it took away from from this, and I I want to hear your thoughts, Sean. So, kills without pity nor mercy. So, number one is is his emotionlessness. Um, he must wager his life. Number two is the most intriguing thing. And number three is this suddenly extremely important iron code slash shinobi code. So these th- I just wanted to get your thoughts on each of those, man. So starting with the the fact that in many screenshots, man, he looks purely emotionless and, and he speaks in that tone as well. So what do you think um, maybe this divine heritage has sort of done to his body or, or his mood? What do you think? Yeah, um, so... You know this this description is this is the one that remains maybe the most intact from what we've seen on the Japanese site previously. Yeah. Um, but it yeah so so we've had this characterization of him being like basically he's you know he's pretty emotionless he follows his code he does his stuff mm. and you know I think there's more to him than that but yeah I do I do I do think that the the dragon heritage mm. you know for its benefits is like like all these tales that you that there are about returning to life after dying is yeah. you don't bring everything back with you you might be alive but it doesn't mean you're living the same way very good you know, oh I mean, nice i hadn't thought about like he's a bit like a, a thrall or something and yeah, uh, yeah exactly i wouldn't expect him to be exactly like he is and so with this in mind and this isn't really brought up in the post so this is a good way to put in something that i am thinking you know about the game is he's really bound by this code 
and it's yeah. a trope you know you know mm. to do the good not so much with uh, ninjas as a thing but like there's this idea of like you know restoring honor and you know following the code as a trope yeah i don't i would be surprised if miyazaki was just simply having that as like a thing okay and he wasn't gonna speak about it okay because i'm thinking if he's talking because there's this all this stuff about that yeah the iron I code yeah it's going toward yeah. like what does the wolf do in order to bring his master back and is it worth it is is it worth the things he does to himself and potentially to other people like similar to like the hunters or the chosen undead think nice. about the people they murder in order to fulfill their goals which may have a greater purpose <clears throat> excuse me but um yeah you know, what what I will you what will you lose you know yeah i think there might be a comment on someone just following this code without mm. you know without pity or mercy or emotion i think yeah. I, I would be surprised and then in the one in the uh pgs trailer i believe um there's that mention of the Ashura, you know, which is I've looked into Asura or Ashura or like yeah. the different connotations of this sort of in uh, in, Buddh- in Buddhism is like a demon, but also represents someone consumed by like revenge or something. Yeah. Is that you that's just the burning statue, I believe. The Is that is that correct? Or is it's that mentioned with the uh, it's mentioned it's shown the line is shown with like that umbrella lady looking down into a pit. Ah, right, right. Gotcha. And um so the the there's an argument that the shinobi is sort of uh consumed by this one goal. Hmm. And I wonder if I'm wondering if the game will comment on if he should be doing what he's doing to complete his goal mm. if he is like a morally good character or if there's some ambiguity and you know sort of the cost to himself and others for just following this code is something i think the game might explore that's right and then that little part about to wagering his life to regain what was stolen so we've seen that uh because of the divine gift that he is able to come back but also at the cost of the world around him as presumably it's the idea that like you're siphoning all this energy into the hero so that the it's like that whole thing of when you're on the airplane is you know save yourself before you save others like you know put your mask Mm -hmm. on before so the idea is like yeah like empowering the savior empowering the monomythic joseph campbell hero to save the world um and and everything kind of like sort of yeah being funneled into this hero but um it sounds as though that there are stakes still even though he has got this quote-unquote um form of invulnerability which invulnerability with a cost because it costs those around him but i wonder is just this part about wagering his life it could just be a poetic way to say that um he's risking risking his life but the wager aspect makes me think what if um you know there's yeah, i don't know what if the, the young lord isn't telling him one of the very deep dark things of what happens when you take the blood you know uh yeah exactly wagering his life is a wild speculation like he could be in whatever makes sense in japanese mythology selling his soul to the devil <laughs> could be the price absolutely Just like the, the heritage could could be a dark thing that you know, gets into these this Ashura from a mythological sense. And how and testing... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, just because an early leak, like way back, you know, yeah. take it with a grain of salt, they were hint, they were saying that they thought a boss was like a six-armed demon. And oh. in that case, you know, is that, you know, does that have to do with the dragon heritage? Is that a result? 
sins? Is that the undying? Who knows? At this is time? that the so, young Lord? I'm, I'm telling you, like, yeah. what would be more <laughs> testing? What would be more heartbreaking and testing for the hero to encounter than to discover that the person that they've risked so much for and, like, drunk, you know, like, dragon blood for and is, like, fighting giant snakes and, like, to discover that they, you know, aren't like good and they they're not the right thing for the world and and they corrupt the world with their presence and the nobility was a facade and it was all a lie and and now he turns into the like that would be really like um yeah like crazy and and like wolf not having a good day (laughs) um for sure all right so we go speaking of the prince the sole descendant of an ancient lineage alone on this earth much like his shinobi the prince was raised as the adopted son of the Ashina's chief vassal, Lord Hirata. Calm and brave beyond his years, the dignified prince is abducted by the commander of the Ashina in his, for his peculiar bloodline. So this clarifies, for me at least, um, about you know in whose under whose charge this prince was, and it is like so. I'm assuming, yeah, the Ashina uh, chief vassal would be. So Hirata is part of the um, Ashina clan, right? presumably yeah so he's like a lieutenant in that in that organization so looking after so a thing that jumps out for me here obviously is the alone on this earth um could this could the stakes be ramped so high as to basically this being about the young boy being the very last of his line i know they're not saying it here uh but that's kind of the implication what do you think sean yeah exactly that the uh, the that the dragon heritage as it exists in him is he's he's the last one wow and um i think you see that with the harada estate like uh there's an npc talks you know there's a few memories and stuff that talk about there's thieves attacking which as we discussed could be sort of a a disguise of sorts for you know some political stuff yeah sheena but they they talk about like these the prince talks about how like he, he doesn't like these people getting hurt and that he doesn't want people around him getting hurt for him because there's these people who won't stop pursuing the dragon's heritage. There you so go. he's, he's got a unique thing that people want. And um, interesting to note, actually, I just barely made this connection in my head and it might be nothing, but at the Senpu temple, because I'm working on a video, looking at all the enemies, yeah. there are the bandit type enemies that are seen at the Harada estates. Ah, yeah. And, and the, uh, the Senpu, uh, monks are kind of described as like sending like assassins into Ashina oh. or like doing all this stuff to sound like they've actually kind of they're doing some weird stuff like they might the, the the Senpu monks might actually be like a bigger deal in the game you know like it's, we've talked about them being pretty important but it sounds like they might have more going on than I thought and the thought just occurred to me like what if you know we're thinking of it being the Ashina what if actually the the monks you know from like Senpu Temple actually sent you know, they're the ones they sent bandits to go oh, yeah. destroy I'm, the, you know. Absolutely, and again, that would that would fit with uh, you know uh, Miyazaki's um, themes throughout his games of like corrupt religious organizations that do not at all have the interests of the populace at heart, and they're very like secretly selfish behind a facade of generosity and and um, yeah, being about the community. So, um, little bracket for me because I'm I I even posted I think I got made fun of a bit on the subreddit because I am one of those people who if I encounter a beautiful soundscape and like great aesthetics i'll just chill there i'll just like mm-hmm. sit down if i have the emote to sit down and just like take it all in the monks mm-hmm. sanctuary are you kidding me sean that place is straight out of like like 
oh, it's so beautiful. I just think, yeah. just you know, this game, man. Like, I, you know, we've played Tenchu games, we've played you know some beautiful feudal Japan games, but I just think in the way that like Ghost of Tsushima won't quite do this because it's sticking very much to like photo real kind of uh, you know playable. Um, kurosawa kind of that's the angle and then neo neo just has this very like it's particular stylized element that it just has this blockiness that i i i associate more with like tekken but but with oh it's just like a painting come to life it's just what so what's your favorite revealed area so far that if there weren't the screaming scary monsters that you would just like chill in and have like a little japanese picnic in yeah i agree that i think it would be the temple because you also have um, they like the really creepy chanting music that'll come in. Yeah, I'd have to and, wear earbuds and, for that. <laughs> and it sort of punctuates it, and it's just it reminds me of like Yahar Ghoul. Yeah, Bloodborne, and just it, it just the like like you said, so green and beautiful and so creepy and wrong. <laughs> <It just laughs> green, like, beautiful, creepy, like, wrong. The Sekiro story. Yeah, like it, I think it's just yeah. I I would say that that's the right. thing because it's so it's so unlike what we've seen from them previously i know how 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 pretty it is i love the verticality absolutely (laughs) like 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 dark Souls 3 had some pretty crazy staircases and like the i also love dark souls 3 because of that that you know even the path the path of sacrifice is like it was like this Mm. big uphill thing and again there's proto sekiro concepts uh in there as well but it's just so yeah as i say hashtag miyazaki unleashed so three more protagonists (laughs) nice man oh sorry three more um npcs or denizens and then um we will say our farewells my friend so emma a young healer who appears before the wolf as he awakens in the dilapidated temple she aids the wolf at the behest of her master, but her master's name and intentions remain unclear. Those quiet eyes gaze at the wolf as if searching for something and brim with a faint sorrow. So this is probably the most evocative of all the descriptions. I would like your pure off-the-cuff from your gut speculation. Uh, is this Sekiro's, is this the wolf's like wife and he's got amnesia or something? Go, go, go. <laughs> my, 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 my gut reaction is that this is the equivalent of the maiden in black yeah in the sense that i think she's there and i don't think her master is good oh yeah and i think she's I, I you know that's just my gut reaction is like the maiden in black was sort of you know the gateway to you know god what, what is it saying? like the you know the the big demon yeah you know, or the big uh, the great one of demon souls and uh you know just the fact that she's a uh, sorrowful you know, and I, I think, like, you know, she won't speak of who her master is. That's so intriguing and, to me. Yeah. I don't know if her intentions are evil, but I also, I just get the, almost the idea that she wants to say something. She wants to explain ah, So intriguing. So but, intriguing. Like, there's greater forces that are preventing her, and that feels very Maiden in Black to me. Yeah. Where, where she's sort of, and, you know, even with, even with the Firekeepers, there's always been the sense of them being just as much trapped in this thing as you are absolutely and that's one thing you know usually i'm pretty you know you know you and i are diving pretty uh, free, uh you know unfettedly into pre-release kind of like footage and stuff i'm gonna jump back straight back into terramanus after this and i saw some have you seen the terramanus stuff man there's some brand new stuff there man it's fantastic Yep, yep, I've watched. Oh, yeah. So, again, this is like we've pretty much just hit all pre release sort of stuff outside of hectic, like really bad spoilers, like from trophy lists and stuff. So, yeah. that kite, do you see that kite? Come on. Yes. 
so cool oh my god if you have a kite mechanism all right yeah here we go so ashina genichiro genichiro is the grandson of the legendary swordsman ashina ishin see i see uh, the guy who we know who they are um <laughs> not a legitimate birth but a commoner nevertheless ho- nevertheless uh, holds a profound duty towards his clan in order to defy the, the decline of the Ashina. He abducts the young prince to make use of his unusual powers. The Ashina are on the brink of extinction. This country must be protected even through supernatural means. Now, I wouldn't pay this as much mind because I just came off of reading the fan fiction, essentially, uh, you know, the speculative plot outline. <laughs> this is from the official site. That sounds crazy. And what what kind of calamity has befallen the Ashina? Is it because they messed with the blood earlier and they themselves are dying and they, they're they going back to the well and Bergenworth style, like they, they know not what mm-hmm. they do? Yeah, do you- I, th- I, think, I, think there's a, I think there's a bit of that. You know, there's def- definitely that desperation, like bad decisions are going to be made. Yeah. And um, I already like the nuance that it's interesting, like the wolf and uh, Ganeshiro they're sort of brought up in these in these like in this class yeah that they're not really born into like you know like it's it's almost in opposition to to the prince who's born into this heritage they're sort of they sort of adopt it because they're they're like taken in by someone so that's already an interesting connection between the two and i think you know will probably help to inform his decisions because if you're born into it it's one it's it's one thing but i could see them spinning it in that like he's so desperate to keep ashina as it is because he he feel you know he's been brought up in this and he doesn't want to lose this and it's he never felt like it was just given to you know he never felt like he was just born into it yeah that this is something that sort of maybe you know he sort of lucked out on and he got brought into this stuff which i can definitely see making someone more desperate to not lose it because they may even have like a memory you know yeah. of what life was like without this power without this stuff going on and he doesn't want to go back to that. that's right so then yeah the the aspect of um I, I really think they're just poised to be sort of the yin to each other's yang um mm. those two for sure um so we have owl is the last one and then my friend uh off off into your amazing day that you're gonna have awesome <laughs> so owl the wandering shinobi owl which just stop right now. There's a freaking owl and he's a wandering shinobi. It's so fucking cool. Uh, is an exceptional warrior with no master. Picked up the starving wolf on the battlefield by chance, raising him into a shinobi, beating his own skills into him. And the one and the one final thing he imparted to the wolf, the shinobi's iron code is absolute. Never forget that. So again, this emphasis on this iron code, which, okay, my theory is that because it's separate from like there's been the code referred to, but then I think there's two codes and I think the iron code might be like the owl's own particular mm-hmm. belief. So what do you think about that, Sean? Yeah, I mean, yeah, because you get the sense like because you read this and you're like, okay, it's, it's the wandering owl, no master. This doesn't seem like a guy who's like, yeah you know, there's been these rules made by these shinobi and we just we got to follow it and i'm a real stickler it seems like he's wandering out no master he learned this shit on his own yeah you know? or he you know or maybe there is a master and it's something they don't want to talk about yet but yeah. um you know but the iron code yeah definitely seems like it's something he picked up himself that's and right we have sort of yet this 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 other character sort of who seems like he was sort of outside of this thing and he just through being exceptional became part of this, you know, like he obviously seems to have some clout you know, I, yeah. Um, yeah. Being like someone who at least is related 
to protecting the dragon heritage. I don't think they'll just give that to anybody. So yeah, I, I get this idea that he's very like, like, like you're saying he's, he's made his own code and he's passed that and ingrained that right into. Mm. I mean, I get Qui-Gon Jinn vibes. Like it's, you know, mm. like he, he picks this guy up off the battlefield um, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say, maybe that's probably not how they, you know, take on new recruits. And he feels like a little bit of an outsider, <laughs> even within his own organization. Yeah. So Qui-Gon, Qui-Gon Owl. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. I mean, I, and I also in earlier in the sub, I wrote Owl One Kenobi. This is, you know, just because it works. <laughs> um, Sean, it has been an absolute pleasure once again. Uh, I feel in my heart that this will be the last time we speak before the game because I, I know you're going to be making content and uh, doing your thing so i am so stoked and i've already been primed by your videos already but speaking to you on top of that person to person has just been yeah like immeasurably awesome and like has yeah. super enhanced it's just like supercharged how enhanced me going into and many folks who have been tuning in and enjoying this uh past two episodes or this past episode and this one um they've that's definitely the vibe out there among the listeners so i had to thank you man thank you so much yeah no thanks for having me on and you know your own Oh, covering thanks. Japanese mythology, I wasn't aware of. How, or, you know, that that was kind of what kickstarted me into looking into these things, and it's because, like you said, like you can look on it on your own, but as I'm sort of providing, you know, what's known about the game from sort of a you know um, a news sort of sense, you know, yeah. sort of gathering it up, sort of. Um, I found I've found your 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 videos i watched them through youtube uh, oh thank you man talking about the mythology to be awesome because i just don't know that much oh and it's, cheers it's been a super super help and like yeah like you said like it's just nice going into the game like like so when the headless does his weird thing where he pulls that like ball out booyah like, kappa like, <laughs> yeah i'm like that's a that's a kappa thing and i i know that because of your video so i just oh, love thanks, all these man. people who are passionate and bring their talents to this game because yeah you know my thing is the lore hunter has always been like i don't just present all my own stuff i always present sources and i don't hide and say that oh i've come up with this theory you know i always am like oh this person came up with this theory let's talk about it but you're the double you're you're the double whammy though because you like you you collate and you're you're the scholar you're sort of putting this stuff together you're creating a chronicle but like your takes which i throw at you like you have such a sense of because you've absorbed all this information from different angles like you really do like put together these great speculative and very like solidly uh like um, feasible kind of angles on this stuff and it's again it's just super super engaging stuff man well thank you (laughs) no troubles at all well have yourself a fantastic rest of the day my friend and uh yeah we'll catch up um after we do oh my god it's a week till secure what the hell you know (laughs) all right man take it easy